Welcome to our latest episode in a new season of what we're calling Open Door Policy Minisodes. Each minisode will have a specific theme and we'll be revisiting some of the inspiring conversations we've had with guests from our previous seasons. Today, we're talking about discernment. The word discernment can have many connotations. Perhaps you think of a long or complicated process. Perhaps you think of confusion or clarity. Ultimately, though, discernment is listening to God and responding. Discernment is a sacred process of seeking God's will for your life. Maybe you've discerned making a career change or where to live, or even who to date, or if God wants you to discern the priesthood or a religious vocation. Especially when it comes to discerning your vocation, discernment is a precious time to learn to hear God's voice. It's important to keep in mind that discernment is not a treasure hunt where God leaves vague clues in places we might not look. We must remember God wants us to know our vocation. Our vocations are our path to a deep relationship with God. And if we want our vocations with purity of heart, we want a deep relationship with God. And the good news is that our relationship with God can be deepened through our discernment. It's almost as if the work of our vocation begins when we begin discerning. Maybe it's not quite the climb, but it is a journey that is paved with opportunities to grow in faith, hope, and love, but also trust in God's plan for our lives. Let's take a look at Open Door Policy's guests and how they have discerned. Their real-life examples and experiences can highlight some basic truths of discernment and how we can also listen to God's voice. This is Marek Jakoinski. The, the, the biggest moment that I can pinpoint as far as finding that fire, like lighting that faith on fire, uh, it was actually a prayer. And it was a prayer that was after, after that whole, um, you know, the, the parachute jumping, that was maybe, this was maybe like a year later, or maybe, it was, I think it was uh, junior, um, maybe beginning of senior year. Uh, there was this prayer that I've, always try to do, not always, but, you know, during that time I tried to do it and I couldn't get myself to do it. Uh, it, it was just a, I found it to be a really hard prayer. And it was the prayer asking God that offering, offering to God that, um, that I do what he wants, not what I want. Mm-hmm. Essentially it's a, it's the prayer from Gethsemane. May your will yes. be done, not mine. And it's surprisingly wow. difficult prayer for me, at least it was to say it sincerely, um, I think maybe in part because we have this preconceived notion that when you when you when you say this prayer, you're praying for vocation, and we associate vocation with only priesthood or religious life. Mm. And I, mm. I was really afraid of that. I really didn't want uh, to wow. be a priest. Uh, right. So, and, and you know, and uh, but but interestingly, you know, retrospectively, uh, that you know, you know, vocation isn't just the, obviously praying for vocation doesn't mean that you're going to be a priest. Obviously God God calls us to do uh, different things, uh, whether it's a husband or a father or, uh, you know, even a bachelor or Mm -hmm. work. Uh, So anyway, so I, I've, I've tried the prayer, let let your will be done, not mine. And I tried to say it sincerely and and I had really hard times with it. And, you know, one day uh, next to the school, the Catholic high school that I went to, there was a, this beautiful neo-Gothic cathedral. It's also where I would go for Sunday masses. And I'd go there maybe once or twice a week after school and just pray. So one of those times, uh, you know, I went there. And again, I had this, you know, I, I just felt this internal need to, to say this prayer, but I was really finding it difficult to say it. Uh, but, you know, I, 
Um, and I was really kind of uneasy about it. And event, and I did, and it was this time when I did say that prayer. So I did say, may, may your will be done, not mine. And it was this instantaneous, uh, incredible peace and, um, wow. and joy. It was palpable. Wow. It was, it was one of those things that, um, I haven't really experienced, um, uh, since it was, it was very palpable. Uh, and I think this was really the turning moment, you know, having that peace and realizing that doing God's will doesn't mean that you have to be a priest necessarily, even though going forward, I actually, I actually put that on the table because I, I just decided that even though I know, I, I feel like I don't want to do it. I know that if God wants me to do it, that, that this is, this is the pathway to happiness and to saving souls. And, um, so from there, um, I got even more involved in the Reagan Christie movement. And one of the uh, programs that they have is the, is the, it's a program to spend a year on a missionary work. And they'll send you, uh, they can send you to various places. Uh, usually, I think they, they try to keep you within the same country. Sometimes they send you a different country. I actually asked to go to Spain um, wow. uh, when, I, when I did decide to go. Uh, but it, that, that wasn't an easy decision either, because um, I remember still trying to rationalize and having this internal battle of, mm. well, it's, you know, it's right after high school. Is that really what God wants me to do? Should I really, um, you know, is it maybe smarter to go to college first, get a degree? It's going to be dif- difficult if I go after high school and come back and have to, you know, find myself again in a school environment. So it's kind of difficult in that sense. Uh, and uh, somebody suggested I, I talk to, uh, he's, he was another guy about my age who was one of the first people who did a year on missions from Poland through it, Regan Christie. And there was another, uh, his name was uh, Piotr Plata. And uh, he was another, he probably doesn't even know it, but uh, I, I don't remember if I talked to him or if it was via email, but his response was uh, just a couple words. I told him why I was thinking about doing it why uh why i thought i shouldn't do it and uh his response was essentially if you're thinking about doing it do it have you considered that it's the holy spirit putting the thoughts in your head and the moment he said it it clicked it it just clicked and again it was this not as intense as uh during that earlier prayer um but it was this moment of peace where i was like yeah yeah this is I want to do it. This is great. So it's like, first you had to make peace with being open to doing God's will and then having that nudge to realize, well, then what, what is that? And he helped you see that maybe this is the thing that God is calling you to. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. God puts those people in a path. I feel like it's crazy thinking back how uh, it's, it's almost impossibly crazy when you look back at your life and think how many things had to happen a certain way for you to be where you are. Marek discerned serving as an international missionary. He shares that praying, your will, God, not mine, was difficult for him. He found that his heart was resistant to really surrendering his plans to the Lord. After a meaningful discussion with a wise friend about his desire to serve as a missionary who asked, what if it is the Holy Spirit? Marek found peace in his decision. He felt the Lord speak through that conversation to give him the clarity he needed to move forward with becoming a missionary. Let's remember that God has a beautiful plan for your life and your love. Deacon Chris Beltowski shares how encountering Jesus was the foundation of his discernment of entering the permanent diaconate. All graces come from Jesus, including the grace of a vocation. We must seek ye first the kingdom of God. 
Encountering Jesus changes everything. Deacon Chris encountered Jesus powerfully through the beauty of theology of the body. This study of God through our own humanity was a powerful way to see God's goodness. We can't let our desire to know God's will cloud our desire to know Him. We must seek the giver and not just the gifts. Early on in my marriage, again, it's it's these points where you're at where you, you know, you just feel like you could and should be better um, and further along in, in virtue and and living out the faith. And and I think within my marriage, um, you know, there was certainly a, a selfish aspect for me uh, as it related to my wife or related to, you know, my young kids. And so we had a, a great presentation that was put on at uh, our then home parish, Sacred Heart in Auburn Hills. And it was by Christopher West on theology of the body. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it was uh, an amazing, and he, and he does such a great job at taking this teaching of St. Pope John Paul II and bringing it to a, a level that you can, you know, understand it. And it was just, again, a, a moment of encountering Jesus being cut to the heart that we were all made in the image and likeness of God and all of us deserving the same dignity. And I just remember walking out of that, just looking at my wife, looking at my kids and really looking at every human being just mm-hmm. differently, just Come seeing on. them differently wow. for the first time, really. And that was that was where some stirring started to go on in my heart about, um, you know, serving and, and, you know, what was, what was I doing and what was, what was I supposed to be doing? And uh, so that was a, another huge moment on the path to diaconate. And, and then I, you know, we had a deacon at our parish and I had not really seen one or known what mm-hmm. one did. And, and so I invited him out to lunch to, to just ask him some questions. And that was the first time I heard the word discernment ever. And, wow. uh, and so uh, he kind of introduced me to the path of, you know, Hey, just go, go apply to the seminary and take a class, you know, is what he would say. And, and uh, one class is all it took. I mean, you just, it was an introduction to theology and it's so addicting and you don't know what you don't know. Um, and I didn't know a lot and I still don't. And so um, it's, that, that, that was huge as well, was just taking that first class. And, and really, you know, you go in there thinking, oh, I'm going to, I'm going in to be a deacon. I'm going to be a deacon. But, <laughs> but really that first class kind of set me straight. And, and I realized this isn't about me and what I want to do or think I want to do, but rather what does the Lord want me to do? And, and I really think uh, being able to detach myself from that outcome was ultimately helpful in uh, leading me down that path. Deacon Chris made a good decision in sitting down with a permanent deacon at his parish and asking questions. Talking to someone who is living the life you're considering is wise. Finally, Deacon Chris shares that detachment from the outcome was pivotal in helping him follow God one step at a time. Let's keep our eyes focused on God and not all of the many details of life that can confuse or muddle the water. Father Jake Van Ash reiterates the point that when you encounter the Lord, your life is changed forever. He shares that trying on the vocation through altar serving as a young boy opened his heart to the priesthood. This put him in contact with wise mentors and priests who saw in him a budding vocation. He faced the hurdle of overcoming what others thought of him and focusing instead on what God wanted for him. Believe it or not, it was my first couple weeks serving at Mass, I was probably seven or eight years old. I just received First Communion, 
And I was so excited. I got to be, finally, I got to be an altar server and, and serve mass and to be close, you know, you know, at the heart of the scene here, like what's going on here. Mm-hmm. And I remember Father Weitrell, uh, he was an, a real short little old priest and, uh, and just a friend of our family. And he, he asked me, he said, he said, Jake, what do you want to be when you get older wow. someday? And I said, Oh, father, I, I you know, I, I want to work construction probably with my dad. You know, we had a construct Van Ash construction. I was like, I want to work construction with dad. He's like, you're going to make a fine priest. Awesome. Aww, wow. Like, well, <laughs> <laughs> I, again, I don't think it was respect at that point, but I think it did plant a seed that I was like, Oh yeah. Like, yeah. Where do priests come from? Like, how does that work? And yeah. Priests have to come from somewhere. They don't just like fall out of the sky from heaven. Like, <laughs> you know, so I, I, even though like, I can't say like from that point on, I knew mm. I was going to be a priest, but something I think important was, was started there that knowing that the possibility for priesthood uh, was there and that, but yeah. And I saw, I remember seeing Father Weichel, he was always a sarcastic young, young man. I was like, Oh, I guess, you know, he's kind of old. I, I've never <laughs> seen a young priest before. So I was like, yeah, where do priests come from? So it made it a possibility for me, even at that, at that young age. Hey, uh, Jake, got to ask you those seeds planted, uh, the faith, uh, you know, and then you serving and, and having that seed planted as a, as a, as a boy to consider the priesthood, uh, take us down the line, like maybe into your high school, teen years, like when, you know, when did that seed start to bloom more your call to become a priest? Well, it, it definitely, I think that seed was planted at first on, on rocky ground, um, or even in the midst of thorns, um, because for a while there, that even though it was there, my my heart itself quite wasn't ready for it to receive the gift, mm. um, you know. And so I I think even going on, we were very dedicated and and served the Lord uh, every week and in those very formal ways, in the liturgical ways, and which I I love to this day, love to celebrate mm. mass. But throughout high throughout high school, I have to say that. I it was like the last thing I want to do. I, I was one of very few Catholics in my high school. And so being even Catholic or openly Christian was something that I didn't always feel comfortable with. I was even, I'd say there were times I felt embarrassed, like, mm. like, well, all my friends, they don't have to go to church at seven 30 in the morning. Like, why do I? And so there was a little rebellion within me there. Like as I grew up and just kind of distance, like, I don't want to have anything to do with this. I don't, uh, you know, this is nice and everything like that, but look at all my friends. Here. Like they seem to be fine. And so, so throughout high school and even junior high, high school, um, I played a little football then uh, early on. Um, but then I, 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 I really, I, I started getting more into a little bit of a um, jokester, if you can imagine, I, I was a little bit of a, a, a class clown, uh, <laughs> possibly, possibly imagine. I, I was always talking in class and talking over the other kids and getting in trouble, said to be tension. And, um, and I just, just kind of, I had this inquiry, this, 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 um, this, I don't know, there was a, an, an anxiousness there, mm. uh, a, a, a searching, I think. And, and, I look at it back at it now and I see, well, no, my heart was really looking for an acceptance was wanting to be, to belong. And so I was looking at even high school, like what group am I a part of? What group am I a part of? Am I a part of this group? Mm-hmm. Am I a part of this group? And it really wasn't a place for me. And I, I, I got into a little trouble here and there. I would, um, 
yeah, we partied a little bit there. Sure. Um, went off the beaten path, but when I was about 16, 17 years old, I did have a, I, I don't want to make it sound like I had a moment and I, the heavens, you know, opened up, but uh, in a real way, uh, my heart, I recognized a sadness, a, a certain heaviness. And I'm like, well, I'm trying to fit in. I want to get all these other people to like me. I'm trying to get everybody to, um, you know, admire me or I want to be accepted by all of these other people, but I still don't feel like I belong. I want their acceptance and I want everybody to like me. And, and it was almost as if like, I didn't think this at the time, but later on meditating, I'm like, it was like God saying, don't worry so mm. much about who likes you or who accepts you. I accept you. And I'm more than like you. I love you. Amen. I love you. And it was something I, I don't know, in a prayer and, and recognizing how much that what my parents had been taking us to and what did all these things mean? And I don't know, the faith, I want to say like this, like, like, you know, there wasn't a complete change. Like there wasn't, I, I still was kind of a hard-headed uh, clown, um, but at least a, a converted hard-headed clown, you know, and I started, and I, st I started to allow the Lord to remove some of those, that thorniness along that path. And that, that stony ground started to, to, to really become more receptive than to his grace and his movements there. So yeah, I was about 16, 17 years wow. old. I, I think I was, believe it or not, I'm going to keep talking. Okay. I'll, I'm going to, I'm going to hold this here for two hours. You gave me, oh, no, don't cut me no. <laughs> no, no, I won't. I won't. No, this is going to be my, uh, my Butler's Lives of the Saints book. Um, but no, but there was, I was actually, I was suspended from high school. Wow. Uh, I had, I had a two, yeah, two, three day suspension or so. I don't even remember what it was for at this point. I've been wow. suspended a few times here and there. Sure. Silly things. Um, but I remember my, my day was spent, I was splitting firewood. Um, and yeah, I, I remember where I was. I, I, I just, I finally said a prayer like, God, I'm not happy. Wow. I'm not happy here. And so what's going on? Do you, what's your plan here? And there was, uh, there was like a piece there that I hadn't experienced that no matter what group of friends I tried getting along with or tried to, to be a part of that, I realized I was a part of something much bigger. That's incredible, but, man. Yeah. Wow. I got the sense of like when you were sharing that, Jake, the, of, of, of somebody listening to this podcast and taking it and offering their teenage son or daughter like, hey, just just listen to like these six minutes of Father Jake's testimony because it's so powerful hearing as a, as a teenager how the Lord broke through in your heart. And I love that prayer, man. I mean, you could just outside split in the wood and. I could picture a parent saying, just, just go outside and just talk to the Lord for a little bit. See what happens. It definitely. I was, it was something beautiful, beautiful grace moment in life there. And going to mass then Man. didn't make it easier getting up at seven 30 in the morning, <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> it takes well, a lot of grace say, for that. It, it made it easier. I suppose I understood it a little bit more, but no, like it, grace builds on nature. So like, right. so now my nature still needs to catch up a little bit. Mm -hmm. So so awesome. I, one of my favorite parts of the letter is like when it actually describes, and I think it's like guidepost nine and talking about an, it's encounter girl witness and encounter. And I just love that. It's like when, 
you have encountered Christ, your life is changed forever. I just, I love that part. Um, and then, yeah, the grace builds over time, but I, when you're experiencing that as a teenager, like, what did you do? Did you, did you talk to your parents about it? Is that, did you feel you had people to talk to about it or have you just like, you know, sort of pondered these things in your heart and they're coming out breaking news for the first time here. How did you respond to that sort of moment of feeling God's grace while you were chopping wood or that encounter of, of knowing you were loved and kind of realizing it for the first time? Yeah, thank you. I mean, that was it's a great question. I, I believe it or not, I'm as I talk a lot and everything like that, but I'm actually pretty reserved. I'm actually pretty um, private, if you will. Like I don't, um, you know, I tell some people I, I'm, I'm still nervous talking in front of people. I'm like you're in the wrong <laughs> position here, but um, but no, I, believe it or not, I so I, I really at that time I did not uh, open that up. And even like I went back to school and like like I started telling my friends like no, I don't like I'm. I'm it's not my thing anymore. Like, no, I'm not going to go drinking with you guys today or, you know, or we're not going to go to that party or whatever. Just, they just kind of noticed like there was something different, but I never really opened it up or even with my parents, I, I never really opened them, but there was a very powerful moment of, I needed to go to confession. Um, I knew like, I, I, I think I grew a lot in the faith. I, I think I had things maybe a little out of order in my own life. Like I knew a lot about church stuff. You know, my family just, you just receive it by osmosis, I suppose, to, when the faith is being lived. Um, but I had been avoiding that encounter. And so now it's kind of like, okay, now I've encountered something new here, something real. And I continued to encounter a, a new, but it's like I knew I had, a, I, I needed a renewal here. I needed to go and confess. And so I did, I, I, um, I, I didn't think I, I was like, at the time I look back at it now as a priest and I laugh at it like, Oh yeah. Young, young Jake. Uh, uh, like I was like, I can't possibly go tell father white Like he's never heard these things before. <laughs> <laughs> he's only a priest for 50 years, but right. <laughs> um, now I laugh at it, realize like, Oh geez, after five days, you don't hear anything. <laughs> but, um, but it was something beautiful that I, I went and I encountered, uh, the mercy of the Lord as well, this great divine mercy in the sacrament of reconciliation. And, and so that's what, that was a place where I really opened up my heart and I was able to share and, and it continued to grow. It continued to be nourished, even though I didn't share about it. I didn't right away share about that with even family or friend. They noticed, everybody kind of noticed there was something oh, odd. Wow. There was something different yeah. or like, he's not complaining about going to church or no, he's going to like church now on Tuesdays. Um, he's teaching catechism. Well, you know, community service hours, I suppose that count. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but, but no, it was, it was a, there was a time there where I just, I, I don't know. I rested in the Lord in those, in those years um, that I, I still kind of that. fought up against things, but it was, it was a growing, it was a growing and encountering uh, uh, joy. One big fear in discernment is a fear of being unhappy or unfulfilled. But let's challenge that. God has created us for vibrant life, and His plan for us is a life of satisfaction and joy. One way we can discern is to truly look into our hearts. What do we want? It is important to notice how our hearts respond as we think of different options that we are discerning. Which options bring us fear? Which options bring us joy? While we must not be ruled by our emotions, we should be aware of our human responses 
and ask ourselves, what is my desire in the deepest part of my heart? Our guest, Michelle Piccolo, shares how as she encountered her ultimate vocation, she felt herself come alive and experience a profound sense of joy. Where do we have peace, true peace? Well, Liz, I just kept hearing and thinking, I just want to do the Lord's will. What is his mission for me, right? What is my vocation? I'm, and, I, and I felt affirmed in that, oh, there's something called consecrated virginity. So when I read a book, so this is how great the Lord is. He put people on my path to help me, right? Not just my priest, spiritual director, Father Adam, because, and he would say, like, he wasn't too knowledgeable about it either because a lot, a lot of priests don't know about consecrated virginity. So he, he's like, I'm going to point you to this person. So he pointed me in the direction of our vocations, mm-hmm. the vocations director in Cleveland. I say are as if I still live there, but it's hard, <sighs> you know, um, like, like Emily with South Bend, it's like, well, Cleveland <laughs> is always going to be my hometown. Two homes. homes. Yeah, two, two homes. homes. So the vocations, he pointed me in the direction of the vocations director, Father Mike McCamless, who pointed me, who met with me. And um, at the time, um, she has since left us. She's, she was called home not too long ago, um, Sister Rochelle. And she was like the delegate for religious life there. And um, in Cleveland. And we met and they said, you know, consecrated virginity is somewhat unique. Um, we don't have too many here in Cleveland that we can have you talk to. How about you talk to Dawn Hausman? She's in Lansing, Michigan. <laughs> wow. So I, again, Michigan, here comes Michigan mm-hmm. again, like, oh, I, so many Catholic people in Michigan. Okay. Mm-hmm. So her and I um, got in touch with her. Prior to that, though, the Lord just kept putting people in my, in my path. There was a seminarian doing his internship. He's now a priest, Father Jim Cosgrove. He was at my parish. He overheard me talking about theology of the body. I didn't even think he heard me say consecrated virginity and out of the blue. You should read a book called Virginity by um, uh, Consula Mesa. Okay. Another person that I had just met going to daily mass, my friend Evie. Here's a book. Um, I think you'd like it. It's, it's called And You Are Christ by Father Thomas Dubay, which is like the main book that everybody who's discerning consecrated virginity should read. When I read that book, I mean, it's again, it's almost like re- when I read Theology of the Body, I'm like, the Lord wants me to read this. He is speaking to me through this book. Oh my gosh, he wants me. This is what I'm called to do. Um, it was the same feeling I got when I read... Um, I'm cheating. I'm looking at it. It's um, 1 Corinthians 7. It was my second reading at my consecration. 1 Corinthians 7, 32, you know, um, mm-hmm. an unmarried yeah. woman or virgin is anxious about the things of the Lord. I read that scripture passage and I know, and I wish I could, I wish I would have written it down like when this happened, but I know when I read that, that the Lord was calling me to remain single for oh. him. Um I've so M- Michelle, quick quick question for you because you know we're talking about this a lot, and you mentioned you know being credo Catholic and having not known what like really about consecrated virginity or theology of the body, and you know even this podcast for joyful missionary disciples, we're all, you know we're all pretty engaged with our faith. If you're listening to Open Door Policy, probably, but could you maybe help clarify for our listeners, you know, may, and you speak to even even in your own discernment process because I think a lot of women are understand you know 
discerning a call to religious life versus married life. Um, But what does it also look like? Maybe could you explain the difference? What is being a consecrated Mm -hmm. virgin? And maybe also speaking to how you knew in your discernment process that you were being called to that versus, for example, religious life or married life. Good questions. Yes. So I knew in my heart that this is where I was called um, after having talked to my spiritual director about it over the period of many, many, well, altogether it was like five or six years, right? But a couple of years, a couple, few months at least of talking about it with him and, and doing more research on it. But even before, um, I would say, um, before or when I even, even said like, Father, I think I am called to this. Even I think he said, just like a good spiritual director director does, okay, you know, like let's let's examine other options too, you know, um, and just let's let's pray about this. Because my one of the first things I told him was, why can't I just be single for the Lord? And he's like, you can. And I said, but you know, I thought people say being single isn't a vocation, and so we got into that kind of conversation, an official vocation to be single. And so not get, I don't want to like get too far into the weeds with that. I, I said, I just, I just know that I'm supposed to be single for Jesus. I don't know what that looks like though. And that's when started researching more of what, what is, so let me just read about what consecrated virginity is. And let me see if that strikes my heart. I had a lot of peace in my heart when I would read about it, when I would listen to other consecrated virgins, when I talked to other consecrated virgins, when I read interviews that they had, because all of a sudden, it, again, Google coming through in the clutch, you know, I mean, I was finding more and more articles about it. Jessica Hayes, you know, I, I watched her story. And so in doing the research on it, I, I felt peace. I didn't feel like anxiousness. If, if anything, I felt excitement. On the other hand, if you, you know, that is the next question, though, like, well, how do you know you're not going to meet somebody and be married, you know? And I said, well, I did date (laughs) and I never felt peace in my heart. I want to get to where she is. So how do I live my life? How do I, what do I do? And started basically, I went to the, you know, St. Google and, you know, but other than that, you know, I, you know, I watched a lot of Bishop Barron's talks and I, again, joined things um, at my parish, Uh, young adult. I was invited on young adult retreats. I went on my first young adult retreat as a, as a young adult, um, two weeks after my mom passed wow. away and it was life-changing. Wow. It was, it was great. And so I started become. I learned what adoration was. Sadly, I had no idea what that was at 30 something years old. Um, so just had this, it's like, it set me off on like a, mm. it was like a sling, slingshot. I could not, I was just wanting to learn more and more, read more, um, uh, you know, read about the saints, mm-hmm. read about the liturgy and like, what is he doing up there? And what is the mass all about? And, and then I became a lector mm. and I love to lector. I, I, I feel like God called me to that. So I thoroughly enjoy that. And that kind of for not forces you, but sort of does. If you're going to proclaim the word, you better understand what it is that you're reading. So took that more seriously. So you can't help but get more involved. Right. And, and, and study. And if you recall, I said, you know, my, our faith life growing up, I mean, my, my dad, my family might listen to this, you know, my, my, and my mom, God rest her soul. She, they did the best they could, right. Yeah. They did what they, I was right. But I, but it was still, it was private. 
you know, I didn't see my parents going to confession. I, I, we didn't really talk about these things very openly. Like, I, I don't know. We just didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, school was great. The priests that we had, the nuns that they were, they were wonderful. But when we came home, it was like, there was a, there was a little bit of disconnect there. Right. So when I'm going through this whole thing and this and, and learning and seeking knowledge and, and joining these groups and going to adoration and going to daily mass, which I had never done before, I had no one to talk to about it with. Mm-hmm. Like there was no one in my family that I could really discuss this with because again, we're all on a different part of the journey and here I am. And it's not like they made fun of me or anything, but they just were confused. Like, so what's up with that? What are you doing? Mm. <laughs> Michelle also highlighted the role of seeking out information about the things we are discerning. Talking with wise mentors, reading, listening to talks or podcasts are all good ways to research and expose ourselves to the options we have before us. Bishop Hanchen is a great example of seeking out where he found joy. His discernment story includes facing a serious health problem in seminary and surrendering his plan for God's plan. In the process, he gave God the opportunity to speak to him in Eucharistic adoration. To me, it's a, uh, a lesson in God's patience and sense of humor. Uh, when I went to the seminary after eighth grade, I went because I wanted to be a priest. And I admired the priests at my home parish and so forth, and they were very encouraging me of me and my parents had the ideal attitude. They said, well, try it out. And if you find it's not for you, come on back home. So I went with that idea. Uh, However, uh, I hadn't thought about to think about how selfish it was. It was my idea. And uh, I noticed that some of my classmates got into trouble and and were asked to leave. So I didn't want to be one of those. So I was (laughs) going to be Mr. Okay, you know, and uh, the tension of being Mr. Okay when you're not perfect mm. uh, started to take a toll. I end up having uh, trouble with my stomach, having ulcers by the time I was in college. Uh, in any case, uh, so when I had ulcers, I had to have surgery. And um, when I came back after being away for about two weeks, I was absolutely certain I was going to get summoned to the rector's office. And that uh, Monsignor Canfield was going to say, you know, Don, you're a nice kid, but uh, obviously this, uh, this work is not meant for you and you're having troubles. So I was sure that was going to happen. And every night I would go down to the chapel all by myself late at night. And, 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 and I would cry about this. Literally, I would cry and I would say, God, there's nothing else I want to do. Uh, what am I going to do now? And, uh, one of those nights, uh, the Lord sort of answered, well, now that I have your attention, <laughs> I said, oh, my goodness. I, I said, so I, I, uh, I do want you to be a priest. And I've wanted you to be a priest since you were a little kid. Uh, and he quoted that line from Jeremiah, from your mother's womb, I have called you. And so I, I didn't know what to say. And I said, so I, I'm not going to get kicked out. He said, no, no, you're not going to get kicked out. But don't be ridiculous. But no. You won't get kicked out. And I never got called to the rector's office. Uh, Life went on beautifully. But I realized that it was kind of from that point that I realized, oh, so this isn't what I want. This is doing what you want. Mm. And uh, so I felt like God sort of consciously entered my my mind as the one responsible for my vocation, going back to, you know, when I was in my mother's womb. So Mm. uh, I can look back and think of little things from childhood. Where I, this is what I always wanted to do. 
And uh, when people would ask me, why did you become a priest? I say, because I thought I would, uh, I would like it. And I was right. right. <laughs> <laughs> God, God sort of put it in my, in my, uh, my mind and in my heart. And uh, mm. I've never regretted, you know, I've just never regretted that choice. Bishop Hanchen says, I became a priest because I thought I would like it. And I was right. While the easiest option isn't necessarily the best option, we should keep in mind Bishop Hanchen's advice. If you don't want it for yourself, God probably doesn't want it either. God wants our happiness. He knows what will make us truly happy, not just a surface or superficial happiness, but a joy that is deep and lasting. Bishop Hanchen says that he has never regretted entering the priesthood and trusting God with his life. God cannot be outdone in generosity, so let's trust him. Discernment can, at times, leave us feeling vulnerable and fearful. What if we mess up? What if we miss the signs? But thankfully, that's not how God works. God has planted in our souls a roadmap to him and to his plan for our life. Discerning is searching our hearts for a gift. What has God made us for? Good discernment includes seeking God first, having conversations with wise people about our discernment, exposing ourselves to the options we are discerning, being aware of our own desires and fear, and finally, trusting God. Thanks for listening to Open Door Policy. You can find more episodes at unleashthegospel.org forward slash podcasts, or find us on Spotify, Google, Apple Podcasts, or Amazon Music. See you next time.